0: you've got your Bible, excuse you take them and turn to John chapter 1. I'm going to ask uh, Kate Taylor to come and read. She's going to begin reading in verse uh, 19, John 1, 19.
1: And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus.
0: Thank you so much for reading, Kate. God compares His word to several things. So one of those things that God's word is compared to is a light that can guide our paths so we can see what's going on in our world, see what's going on in our own lives. One of the things that God's word is compared to is like a sword. It like divides in our thoughts and our intentions and makes clear what's going on there. The Bible is also compared to food, food that we eat spiritually to sustain us. But another picture that the Bible gives us of what God's Word does, how it functions, is God's Word can function like a mirror. And we can, it's held up. We read it, and in some ways we're looking at it, but it is reflecting back on on us. And we've got to be careful there, because the Bible certainly, we're not the only or primary character in the Bible, but it does speak to us. And as we listen to it, like we just did as Kate read, We do get a look into our own lives, and and I I want us to keep that image in our mind because I believe that this interaction John had with the Jews that were sent to ask him some questions and that John had, particularly even with Jesus, can be a mirror to us today. We can hold it up, and we can ask a few questions because the people that encountered John that day might not have even been looking for what John had to say. But John had some some words for them, and I think we can get a glimpse and and ask a few questions on our own, because actually John the Baptist in Scripture forced some questions to be asked. One of those questions that I, I want us to ask today is this question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? It's interesting because John was asked that question. So again, we're going to hold up the mirror, and as John is asked that very question, I, I think he gives us a chance to ask that as well. And I hope you keep the Bible open this morning. We'll be in John 1.19. It says there that this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? It says he confessed and did not deny, and then in case, John, in case we weren't following all the words, and he really did confess this, I am not the Christ. So if, if John is asked, who are you? He actually starts off by saying, let me make sure you're very clear on who I am not. Who, who do you think you are, John? And, and we hold up the mirror even for ourselves. John would say, I am not the Messiah, he was creating quite a stir, and, and, and there was a stir. there was such an expectation of someone to come and, and maybe a Messiah would come and deliver and rescue and free everybody, and life could be better and not what it was, and we could have political and economic freedom. And so there, there was all this hope and all this buzz, and John wants to quickly make clear, "I I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the anointed one, I'm not the Christ." But, but they ask him again. In verse 21, they ask him, "Well. What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Every time he answers, it seems like his answers get a little bit shorter and more direct. I'm, I'm not that. I'm not Elijah, and I'm, I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. And, and why, why bring up Elijah? Well, the, the Old Testament had closed about 400 years earlier with this expectation that Elijah is going to come one day. And he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And that was the last words they had from God. So there's this expectation. Something's going on with John, who's the, the son of a priest. I mean, something's going on with this man who's created quite a stir. Could it be, could it be that he's Elijah? And even Jesus will recognize something about John that John himself says, I, I'm not that. And I, I'm not even the prophet. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the prophet? Well, Moses said, In giving the law, he said, there's going to come a prophet. I'm not that prophet, but there's going to come a prophet one day, and he's going to speak directly the words of God, every word, and it's going to be clear. And you're going to understand it, and it's going to impress your hearts. One day the prophet will come. Are you the prophet, Elijah? Or John the Baptist says, no, I'm not the prophet. Something's going on for him to be asked these questions, and he could have, maybe the attention was nice. Maybe he liked being asked, like, are you the historical figure we're looking for? Are you the savior? Are you the rescuer? And John has the humility not to capitalize on attention for his own personal benefit. He says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But then, then we actually have the first I am saying in the book of John. It's actually John the Baptist that says it. He says, I am. You want to know who I am? In verse 22 and 23, he says, I am the voice of the Lord. Look at that. It, they, they ask him again, we, we need to know who you are. Who are you? We've got to give an answer. People have sent us. We're on this delegation to try to figure out what's the ruckus, what's the stir. We need to know, can you just shoot straight with us? We got to, you're not this, not that. We want to know who are you? Who are you, John the Baptist? And he says in verse 23, I am the voice of one just crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just like the prophet Isaiah said, while Jesus is identified in John chapter 1 as the Word, John is identified as a voice. A voice crying out in the wilderness, telling people, God's doing something here. God's doing something here. Get ready. God's working. Be ready. Be prepared. God, God is doing something. Are, are, are you listening? Are you, are you ready? Are you paying attention? This is straight from Isaiah 40 where it's like, make, make the crooked path straight so that this this movement of god toward people can can come that's exactly what john sees his role as the lord's coming and the first time he came there was certainly a chance that people could miss him we know that they did miss him and so john is like trying to sound the alarm it says in verse 24 these this had been this delegation had been sent from the pharisees and they asked him we've got another question for john not just who are you but why are you baptizing and If you're not Christ, you're not Elijah, not the prophet, why are you baptizing? And John, if you'll notice, doesn't even directly answer their question of why are you baptizing? What he answers is, listen, I'm baptizing with water, but among you stands one that you're not even aware of. You don't even know who's right here among you. So they asked John a question like, why are you baptizing? But the question behind, there's always questions behind the question. So what that question is, is who gave you the right to do this? And what authority... Are you here baptizing people? And John uses that opportunity to say, you asked who I was? Well, I'm just a person that's baptizing, but I can only baptize with water. But you need to take a look at who's around you. You need to take a look at who's among you. Could it be in that very day? Could it be 10 yards from John, 20 yards from John? 40 yards from John stood Jesus Christ. John's saying, You're asking me all the questions of who I am, but all I can do is baptize with water. In contrast, there's someone standing among you. In verse 27, this is the one, this is the one who comes after me. Even he who comes after me, it's the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. John gets asked, who are you? And he says, I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not Christ. I am a voice. I, I do baptize with water. And when it comes to, like, menial service, like, I, I don't even qualify as one that could do the, the unthinkable job of dealing with someone's dirty feet. I, I, I don't even qualify for that. Do you see his humility? Do you see his grasp of reality? Do you see his self-estimation? The mirror comes up, and I read John the Baptist, and I read how quickly he was to say, I'm not this, I'm not that. And I mirror that with my own life. And, and I look at how often, oh, I might not ever verbalize it, but how often I, I tend to think that I really am the rescuer in a given situation. That if, if people had just listened to my opinion, if they had just done what I told them to do, if I had just been there, if I had just been the glue holding all this together, it never would have unraveled. I mean, we have word for that. We call it the Messiah complex. And that's exactly, that's exactly what John says he's not. And all too often I find I can easily be the hero of the stories. The one who had just the right thought. The one who is just the right rescuer that everybody needed. So let's hold up the mirror and say, do do we really think that we're that? John didn't. John knew who he was. He said, if I can just get out of the way and use my whole life to point to the the main attraction, to the one who's center stage, to the one who really is is the one that you should be thinking about, you should be talking about, you should be asking questions of. I pray God would give me a heart like John the Baptist. So who do you think you are? Let John, kind of let that mirror make you ask some questions today. But we're going to hold up the mirror again. Because as important as it is to assess who we think we are, a more important question is not just who do you think you are, but who do you know Jesus to be? Who do you know Jesus to be? I, I want us to think about this, because here we are, let's, let's imagine we're with John the Baptist in the wilderness, and, and he, is, he is saying some things. He is saying, this is who I know Jesus to be. And you can imagine, there's, there's a crowd, there's a crowd that forms, and, and imagine that you're in that crowd, or around that crowd, or along for the ride, and you're just walking in, in the in the wilderness with John or, or by the river and you hear him saying these things. And, and the question I'm going to ask, and I think the question that was burdening John is, who do you know Jesus to be? Because in verse 29, John says, it says the next day that, that he saw Jesus coming toward him, John says, behold, or let's everybody take a look. Look, everybody, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, uh, the sin of the world. John gives us a glimpse into Jesus and, and he's like kind of trying to make sure you and I are paying attention, saying, Everybody look, because right there is the the Lamb of God. God's precious lamb with God's endorsement. And and this is what this man does and can do and will do. He can take away the sin, and not just of the Jews, but of the world. Do you know Jesus to be the sin-removing lamb? This lamb was an interesting analogy, a, a word choice, because there, there's so many different places in the Old Testament where a lamb is mentioned. You've got uh, a, a lamb was an offering given up often to, to praise and thanks to the Lord. And then there's the Passover lamb, to remember that God passed over Israel. And then there's the lamb that's in Revelation, the lamb of authority and power, and the lamb that, like, sets the world straight and... And there's the lamb in Isaiah 53, all oh, we like sheep have gone astray, but God laid the iniquity of, a, of us all on, on this person who is said to be innocent and quiet like a lamb being led to the slaughter. So all these images maybe are going through John the Baptist's mind, but he identifies and he says, that's the lamb of God, and he takes away the sin of the whole world. So when he says that, he says that someone is going to have to make a decision of, do I know Jesus to be that to me? Or do I just hear a person yelling about stuff and I'm going to keep walking by? Does it matter to you, does it matter to me that he is the sin-removing lamb? The sad reality is that there would have been many in that day who had little time for this sin-removing lamb. And the sad reality is that there are many today, and perhaps there are some even in this room, that for the course of your life you had little time for any talk like this. I mean, behold the Lamb of God. I mean, that's nice religious language. And the reason why it may not really grip you that there is this Lamb who can take away sin is that you really don't, in the first place, see yourself much of a sinner. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can all give the, ah, we all got faults. I'll give you that. But, I try better, you know, I try to do, I can tell you there are people a lot worse than me. And the fact is, if you really don't see yourself as needing your sin taken away, removed, dealt with in a serious way, then actually a lamb of God has really no use for you. You just keep walking. Or if you think that that human being named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago that's identified by John saying, this is the lamb, if you think, I don't think he can do it. Him take away the sin of the world? Take away the sin of uh, How many people are in this room? How many people are in the world? Seriously, this one individual can bear the sin of the world and take it away and remove it? Then you go, thanks, Sean, but I think I'm going to keep looking. I think I'm going to try to atone for my own sin. So the professional, the girl in high school, the blue-collar worker near retirement, the single person, the one living their dream, managing on their own, doesn't sin much or thinks if they do sin, they don't need much of what's being offered, they walk by. And my question is, do you walk by? Do you have anything that John says you need to pay attention to Jesus? Do you you have any, is that pinging anything in your soul? Because I will tell you, the people that don't walk by, the people that stop and go, there's a lamb of God. he takes away sin, those are the people that know they're sinners. Those are the people that come into a a room like this and hear, hear sin and don't try to like bow up in pride, but they're humbled by it and go, my goodness, Curtis, if you played on that screen the past week of my life, you would see things that would be such an embarrassment to me. If you knew what happened two years ago, yeah, I'm so ashamed of that. If you knew what happened 20 years ago, I I don't even know how to deal with the shame. I don't even know how to talk to friends and loved ones. There are people that don't know this about me because I just can't even bear to say I am a sinner. And if you're telling me there is someone that can take that sin and take it away and remove it from me, then please, please point me to that person. If you're good enough and you think you can do enough good to take away your sin, you're not interested in Jesus, but when you know, when you know, that he is the one that can clean and cleanse and forgive and restore and take away your sin. I mean, Nathan was leading us in a moment because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. And to know I'm going to stand before God one day and he's not going to say, can we review 2018? That was a pathetic year. You sinned again and again and again and again and again and again. And you hurt people and you shamed your family. To know that will not be held against me means I don't keep walking. I go, behold the Lamb of God. Well, you got my attention, John. John goes further. He, He digs in deeper. He says this in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me, so we're following timeline, and the timeline is odd. John's saying there's someone that actually was born after me, but he actually predated me. He's pre-existent. It's crazy to talk about it unless that person actually did pre-exist. John, and that's exactly what he's saying. And he says he, he ranks in su- superiority to me. I, I myself didn't even know him at that point, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that everybody would know him, that he might be revealed to Israel. John says in time and in rank, Jesus is before him because he existed before him. You can imagine, again, people passing by and hearing John just almost bleeding with people, let's get ready for the Lord's coming, let's get ready for God to do this work, and you can imagine people hearing John talk about a, a person that predated him that's existed beforehand, and go, what? what does it matter, what does it matter, I mean, if you knew my holiday plans, if you knew what I have to do this afternoon, Curtis, if you knew how busy this week will be, if you knew how I have to run here and run there, I mean, you're talking about eternity, but I live in the moment, I live in this moment, I don't have time, I don't have time to think about what may have been, what what plan of God was before time. I don't have time for that. You can imagine, you just keep walking by. If your horizon is here and now, like when you're born, when you die, and that's all you care about, if all you care about is like your graduation on the horizon, college, 10 year plan, promotion, vacation, retirement, social security, holiday plans, I'm not sure that matters of eternity ever affect you. If that's what you're mainly living in. but when you walk into hospice care like I did this past Tuesday to pray with someone who I knew would not make it very much longer, instantly, like your mortality, you realize, okay, life is just a breath. Life is just a breath. So then, then eternity starts, like that's, that stuff really, really matters. So, so now I want to hear, if you're telling me someone pre is preexistent and is superior to every person that's ever been born. Well, now, now I want to listen. I want to pay attention. And, and John has our attention. He tells us, listen and look. When God comes in flesh, it can and does change the world. When you start feeling your own mortality, when you see a bigger story, when you realize there's a person that actually rules over time. So there comes a day, should Jesus not come back, there comes a day when we just... We don't breathe anymore. It's done. And at that moment, don't you want to know that you have entrusted your soul to the one who existed before you and will exist throughout eternity? John is honest enough to even say, I didn't even see this at first. Like, I didn't. But God had done a deep work in his heart. Is this the Jesus you know? This, this isn't like trite stuff. This isn't, well, help me through a tough day kind of Jesus. This is the Jesus who absolutely does help us through all tough days and holds eternity in his hand and will walk us all the way home. Do you know Jesus to be this? Is that who you were singing to a moment ago? Crown him with many crowns. Do you know him that way? John, John has more to say in verse 32. And again, the mirror is whole. Do, do we really know Jesus to be these things? In verse 32, John bore witness and he says, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I don't know if in his mind he was thinking about all the pictures of, of Isaiah where it said that God's spirit would just rest on, rest on the servant of the Lord in, in Isaiah 11 and 42 and 61, that the Holy Spirit of God would just rest on an individual, a particular person like the Messiah, would, would rest on them. But then he, then he says in verse 33, I myself didn't even know him, but he who sent me, God the Father who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who will also baptize with the Holy Spirit. So when I mean, we've got a, a huge, huge thing going on that John sees Jesus, the, the Spirit rest on Jesus, but then also There's something that clicks with John. He hears the voice from the Lord saying, this is the person also that can baptize others with the Holy Spirit of God, can immerse their lives with the Spirit. Think about all that might have meant in time, to be immersed with God's Holy Spirit, to be baptized in that Spirit. God the Father, who had for years, it seemed like he had been distant from the people of Israel. I mean, between Malachi and Matthew are 400 years where it doesn't seem like God had any revealed himself in any, any written way, and then all of a sudden there's a, there's a voice crying out that Jesus is the one that can bring the immersion of the Holy Spirit into your life. What, what a promise. What a promise. Who would not have time to stop and say, what did he just say? My whole life could be immersed with the Spirit of God Well, the person who doesn't like stop is the the person that keeps walking is the person who says, yeah, I don't know that I need much more of God in my life. I think I'm navigating life on my own pretty well. Oh, sure, I have problems, but I, I deal with those. Sure, I have challenges, but I can handle those. Sure, I need guidance, but I use the brain that I have and I just make decisions on my own. The person who thinks that they can determine what's most meaningful for them. Even when heaven talks, they don't have that much time for it. But on the other hand, the person who desperately knows they need to know God, the person who feels unqualified to make every right decision in their life, unqualified to just guide it all and hold on to the wheel and say, I will be the captain of my faith. I'll be the one that chooses my destiny. The person that needs to know God is with them. The person that walks through the most disappointing circumstance. The person who watches their world just begin to crumble and needs to know God isn't somewhere on another planet running that, but needs to know God is totally invested in their lives. Totally with them. They hear John say, there is one who can immerse you the ones who need God to never leave them. They hear the promise. Who do you know Jesus to be? John tells us one more thing about him. He says in verse 34, I have seen and I bear witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you wrapping your life around him? Are you looking more and more like him? Or... Or are you more and more likely to do things on your own way, in, in your own way? Are you becoming more and more distant from him? Is he becoming less and less valuable to you? Is he becoming less treasured to you? Or, or are you seeing him more and more for exactly who he is, the center of the universe? Are you, are you living in light of that reality? So John holds up the mirror and, and let us just hold it up to our own soul and say, Who do we know Jesus to be? Is he informing our prayers? Is he informing our worship? Are we bowing our knee? Are we following him? Are we doing what he says? We've taken a good look at John the Baptist, and we've asked some questions, but there is one more question that, that haunts this passage, because if you get this kind of instruction in saying, this is who he is, behold the Lamb of God, and he can immerse your life with the Spirit of God, then the, then the question would be, what comes next? what comes next? What are you going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? Am I just going to keep walking and say, you know what? I think I got lunch plans, and I got other things to do. So thanks for that. I'll take it under consideration. Or are you going to stop and do what those disciples did? I, we, we know what came next for the first ones who heard it. It says in verse 35, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he's He's got the same sermon. I mean, as, as Jesus walked by, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, like, pay attention. And notice what it says in verse 37. Two disciples heard him say this. And what do they do? They follow. And I know they, they physically followed. Like, they start walking with Jesus. But I think even in that is such a picture of what we're all called to do. And that is we say, okay, Jesus, you determine my next steps. You determine my my life's course. I'm following you. I'm putting my trust in you. You're you're the guide on how I'm supposed to live. You are the pattern of my life. And you are the power for me to do what God the Father wants me to do. I'm going to rely and trust on you, Jesus. I'm following you. What does it look like to follow or keep following Jesus? I don't think it's a simple formula. I do know there are two huge ingredients to following Jesus. There are two things that mattered for those disciples, and they matter for us today. And one is, if we're following Jesus, then we're, we're going to find time to hear what Jesus has to say, tell us how to live, tell us what we should be doing, tell us what to hope in, tell us what's real, tell us how to live our life. We're going to listen to his word. That's going to be part of following him. You're, you're not going to follow him without his word speaking to you, being present in your life. And then you're not going to follow him without other people. You're going to need other people that you're meeting with, that you're praying with, that you're holding yourself accountable to and and they are holding themselves accountable to you. You're going to need the word and you're going to need other people as you follow Jesus and the spirit's going to work through both. And all my prayer is that as we see the lamb of God, the one that takes away the sin of the world, we say, I will follow you. And my prayer is that we follow him all the way, all the way. Can I, can I pray that for you today? Can I pray that maybe some would take their first steps of following him and others might, might continue and say, Lord, I will be faithful because I know you are the lamb. I'll follow you. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you that you hear our prayer because of this lamb of God that took away our sin. Uh, so we feel not qualified in the least to talk to you except for what Christ has done for us. Now we come boldly. And I pray that I would be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would raise up men and women, you'd raise up students, you'd raise up boys and girls that would be faithful followers of you. Give us grace to walk and trust and obey. I pray today that we would see that just as the people should have stopped to listen to what John was saying, I pray that we would stop and pay attention and be very clear on who we know you to be. Give us, Lord, a chance to maybe even share that with others this week. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.